For the next number of weeks in the will of the Lord, I want us to study together perhaps what is the best known of the twelve minor prophets, the book of Jonah. You may want to turn there as we study the word together tonight. But let me just say that it is a unique book. Obviously that could be stated of each of the books of Scripture. But what is interesting about Jonah in terms of prophetic books is that instead of containing a group of visions or messages such as you would find in the book of Ezekiel or even in Isaiah, it actually gives an extended record of an episode in the life of the prophet himself. Could I say it's one of the most assailed, one of the most attacked books of Scripture? That may come as a surprise to you, but modernists and so-called higher critics have poured particular opprobrium and scorn on the story of Jonah and the whale. Now let me just point out that you will not read in the book of Jonah itself about the whale. Oh yes, you will read about the great fish, but it's not called a whale. For that information, you have to go to the New Testament, to the words of Christ. And the Lord Jesus tells us that Jonah was in the belly of the whale. So it was a whale. There are those who have tried, because of their supposed cleverness, uh, to pour scorn on the idea of a whale swallowing a man and the man continuing to live because apparently the experts will tell us that just about all the whales that are in our world in the seas whether it be blue whales or beluga whales or whatever kind of whales that they're called they're not really capable because of the shape of their throat and the size of their gullet of swallowing a man in such a way that he could remain alive of course, the very simple answer to this is that God prepared this great fish. This was no ordinary whale. Uh, this is a particular whale that the Lord used as a kind of a submarine for his servant Jonah, if I could put it that way. Now, having said what I said about Jonah and the whale... We, not, we must understand that this small book of Scripture, the four chapters in English, it has a supporting testimony in other parts of Scripture, both Old Testament and New. Now there are some prophets, such as the one who just comes before Jonah here, Obadiah, just the one chapter, who are not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible except in their own books. Obadiah is not mentioned anywhere else in the Scripture. And before some clever person talks to me about the man who came to see Elijah, who was called Obadiah, it was a different person. God has seen fit, however, to give the prophet Jonah credence in other parts of Scripture, supporting testimony, if you like. For example, in the Old Testament... There is a testimony to the ministry of Jonah the prophet found in 2 Kings. If you'd like to just go back there for a moment to 2 Kings chapter 14 
And verse number 25. And it says of this one, He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gath-Hefer. So Jonah was a real person. He ministered for the Lord to Israel. And it was either during the reign of King Jeroboam II or just prior to it. And it is interesting for us to note that he actually came from Galilee. Now why is that important? Because the Pharisees who prided themselves on their knowledge of the Bible were wrong about this. When they said in John chapter 7 and verse number 52, they answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And the Lord could have said, What about Jonah? Because he was from that area. Jonah came from Galilee. And Jonah was a type of Christ. I said there was supporting witness to the book of Jonah in other parts of the Bible. You can see this in the New Testament. For instance, in Matthew's Gospel. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. And notice what it says in verse 41. Well, we'll read verse 40 as well. Matthew 12, verse 40. For as Jonas, and that's just the English transliteration, it's the, it's the same person as Jonah, was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. Notice it was a whale. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Jonah is a real person, according to the Lord Jesus Christ. And his ministry was reminiscent of the ministry of Jesus, except that Jesus is a greater prophet. Now look at Matthew chapter 16. And again, the Lord Jesus is speaking. Matthew 16, verse 4. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And then, if you turn to the Gospel of Luke, in the chapter 11, we read there, from verse 29, the following. And when the people were gathered thick together, he, that's Jesus, began to say, this is an evil generation, they seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonas the prophet. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. Then he talked about the Queen of the South, that's the Queen of Sheba and Solomon. And then in verse 32, the men of Nineveh shall rise up in their judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, 
a greater than Jonas is here. So the Lord Jesus Christ endorsed the book of Jonah. And he endorsed the character Jonah. And he referred to both sections of the book of Jonah, you will note. His references included Jonah's experience with the great fish. He talked about him being in the belly of the whale. And his eventual ministry at the city of Nineveh. And you don't read about that ministry until you come to chapter 3 and chapter 4. So Christ has told us that the book of Jonah is authentic. And his is the supreme testimony. Now if someone wants to tell us that the book of Jonah is fiction that there's no such thing as Jonah or a whale swallowing him, then you're denying and you're contradicting the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice, the Lord Jesus related the events in the book of Jonah to his own two advents, to his resurrection and to the judgment of the world at his second coming. You see again in the verses I just quoted to you in Matthew and in Luke's gospel. He talks about Jonah being a type of Christ in the heart of the earth and then being raised after three days. But also he refers to that judgment in the end. When the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. So he's talking about that which happens at his second coming, the judgment. And the men of Nineveh will rise up and will condemn those who refuse the ministry of Christ, who is greater than Jonah. So the Lord is referring to the events recorded in the book of Jonah as absolute fact. So what we're reading here is not myth, it's not fairy tale. It's history. This man existed. And his recorded experiences actually took place just as they are written in the scripture. Now Jonah is a typical character. I know there are people who will use semantics when it comes to the matter of typology. There are some who will tell you, well, there are certain people in scripture. They're not really types. They're just likenesses. Well, whatever. If that pleases you to call someone a likeness rather than a type, well, that's fine. But as far as I'm concerned, they're types. And Jonah is a type. He's a typical character. I believe that he is, first of all, a type of the sinner. Now let me hasten to say, Jonah was a child of God. He was a prophet of God. Obviously, as you read through the four chapters, here's a man who's in communion and fellowship with God. Here's a man who believes in salvation by grace. Salvation is of the Lord, he said, in chapter 2 and verse 9. He was a child of God, yet both his life and his attitude remind us a lot of sinners. For example, he was to be seen at the beginning of the book, alienated from God and his word. Chapter 1, verse 1, talks about the word of the Lord coming to him. But then in verse 3, But 
it says, Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. He, he wanted to go with them, the end of the verse says, unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Here's a man who wants to get away from God's presence. And he does it deliberately. He deliberately disobeys God. He deliberately chooses the opposite path to the word and the will of God. He wanted to get away from God's presence. Doesn't that remind us of what the Scripture says about each one of us as we are by nature? The carnal mind, or the mind as it is according to the flesh, is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Romans 8 verse 7. The sinner, according to Ephesians chapter 2, is a child of disobedience. We all were children of disobedience. We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. He's a type of the sinner, alienated from God and his word. Furthermore, we read concerning Jonah... Uh, that his decision to try to get away from the presence of the Lord led him on a downward course. He went on a downward course. Look again at chapter 1, verse 3. He rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down. He went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it. There he is going down again. To go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now look at verse 5. At the end of the verse, But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. There's three references to Jonah going down. Down, down, downward. That was his course. And he actually testified to that in his prayer, didn't he, in chapter 2? Look at verse 6. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. That was the course that he adopted. And can we not say that every unsafe person is on a downward path? They're on a downward course that eventually will lead them, if God's grace doesn't intervene, all the way down to hell. Hell beneath will meet them. At his coming. Jonah reminds us of the sinner in that he's alienated from God and his word. He went on a downward course. And in doing so, he was in an unconcerned state. Consider verse 5. There's a great storm, a great wind. Verse 4 tells us that it was a mighty tempest, so that the ship was like to be broken. This was a really bad storm. Then the mariners were afraid. As I pointed out last week, seafaring men are not easily frightened. They're used to storms. They're used to tempests. But these men were afraid and they started praying. It's funny that, isn't it? A lot of times when people start to get into a time of trouble, they start thinking about God. And some of them might even mutter a few words of prayer to the Lord if they're in enough trouble. But of course it's not something that lasts. It's just a kind of an instinctive reaction. But here they are 
every man praying unto his God. They all were worshipping something different. They cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them, thinking that they could save the ship by throwing a bunch of stuff overboard. But, notice, Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. He's not a bit concerned. He's not a bit worried. He's slumbering, even though, humanly speaking, he and these other men on the ship are in terrible danger. There's no concern manifested at all. None whatsoever. Can't we apply that in a gospel way? Sinners are in a state of spiritual slumber. They know not their danger, and they feel not their load. Because they're deceived. They're deceived. Jonah was deceived. Jonah thought he was bound for Tarshish. But in reality he was heading for a fierce storm. Like the sinner who is deceived as to his ultimate destination. He's sleeping and slumbering in his sin. He thinks that all is well. He's got no problems. He's got nothing to worry about. But in reality he's on his way to a lost sinner's hell. Something else that reminds us of the sinner in Jonah He had to pay for his disobedience. Literally this was true. Wanted to get away from God's will. Wanted to get away from God's word. So verse 3 tells us that he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it. Had to hand over some money to help him on his downward disobedient path. Let me tell you that ungodly men will pay for their sin. They'll pay for it. It'll cost them. In this life, yes, but also in the next, if grace does not intervene. You'll pay for your disobedience. And there's something else that reminds us of the sinner in Jonah. He was cast off by his companions. You see this in verse 15. Of the first chapter. The word of God records. So they took up Jonah. And cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from her raging. Here's this mighty storm. Here's this awful tempest. And these men took him. And threw him into the sea. Oh if you read the chapter. You'll see that for a while. They helped him. But eventually they threw him overboard. Can I just tell you. That's often. The experience of the sinner. Think of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. He's got tons of friends when he's got tons of money. He takes his father's allotment, that which was to be his inheritance. He takes it into the far country and he begins to waste that substance with riotous living. Devouring his living with harlots and so on, according to his elder brother. And he's hail fellow well met when he's got plenty of money. When he's buying all the rounds of drinks, he's their buddy. He's their friend. In England, men when they get together will often sing, for he's a jolly good fellow. You can imagine the prodigal son enjoying all the acclaim 
of his erstwhile friends. And then what happens? Well, he hits the buffers. He runs out of money. And when he runs out of money, he runs out of friends. They want nothing more to do with him. And there he is, sitting in the pig pen, in among the hogs, and he's so hungry, he's thinking about eating the husks that the swine did eat. And the Bible says in Luke 15, no man gave unto him. Oh, they were glad to use him for a while, but then they cast him off. Think of another character like that. Judas Iscariot. Those men who wanted to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ, wanted to kill him. They were happy to use Judas, paying him money, gave him 30 pieces of silver. And when they got what they wanted, the Bible says in Matthew 27 from verse 3, that Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. That's up to you. We don't want nothing more to do with you. You've done your job. Glad to use them for a while. And when no longer needed, they cast them off. That often happens to sinners. He finds that his friends are not really his friends after all. So it was with Jonah. One other thing that I must point out that reminds us of the sinner in Jonah. And it is a very beautiful thought, which is that only God's mercy could save him. Only God's mercy could save him. Look at chapter 2 of Jonah, verse 2. He said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Verse 6, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Only the mercy of God could save him. Which is why he admitted in verse 9 of chapter 2, salvation is of the Lord. If you're listening to me tonight, whether you're here or you're online, or listening to this message sometime later on, you could never save yourself. I could never save myself. Only God can bring us out of the pit of our corruption. And by the way, in chapter 2, verse 6, when He mentions this word corruption. Yet hast I brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. The word literally could be translated the pit. Yet hast I brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Wasn't that the testimony of the psalmist in that great 40th psalm? The metrical version goes like this. He took me from a fearful pit. And from the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, establishing my way. He put a new song in my mouth, our God, to magnify 
Many shall see it and shall fear, and on the Lord rely. Only God's mercy can save sinners. And only for God's mercy, we who are now saved would most certainly have been in hell. Jonah is a type of the sinner. But let me point out also that Jonah is a type of the Savior. There are so many features of the life and experience of this man that remind us of Christ. By way of both comparison and contrast, we can see Jesus in the book of Jonah. There's a contrast in Jonah's disobedience unto the place of death. Consider chapter 4 and verse 3 of Jonah. Chapter 4, verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Then verse 9. God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the good? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Here's Jonah's disobedience unto the place of death. But we compare the Savior's life and experience. In Philippians 2 verse 8, the Bible says he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jonah's disobedience, Christ's obedience. We've pointed out that Jonah went on a downward path. Jonah went down. We can certainly compare this to Christ. Didn't he have to come down to save us? Didn't he come all the way down from the heights of glory to die for sinners? He humbled himself in becoming obedient unto death. Something else we find that reminds us of the Savior. Jonah slept in the midst of a storm. Tells us that in chapter 1 verse 5. He had gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. And he had to be rebuked by unbelieving men who said to him in verse 6, What meanest thou, O sleeper? You know, our Lord Jesus Christ also slept through a storm in a ship. And Mark chapter 4, for example, refers to this from verse number 37. Mark chapter 4, verse 37. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. That's similar to what was happening when Jonah was in his boat. Great tempest, great storm. And it says, and he was, Christ was, in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? The shipmaster said to Jonah, What meanest thou, O sleeper? These men are saying to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? Why are you sleeping? But though Jonah was rebuked by unbelieving men, this time it was unbelieving men who were rebuked. They were rebuked by Christ. Why do you have no faith? O ye of little faith. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Unbelieving men 
rebuked by Christ. Something else that reminds us of the Savior by way of comparison. Jonah actually willingly sacrificed himself to save those other men in the ship. And this is really to his credit. Chapter 1 of Jonah verse 12. He said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. So he's willing to be thrown into that raging sea. For their sakes. Do we not learn from the scripture? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. Willingly offered himself as a sacrifice for us. And this is what we celebrate at communion. This is what we think about. The willingness of our Savior to sacrifice himself for our sakes. But think about the contrast. In Jonah's case, the guilty man was to be given up for the innocent. While in the case of our Savior, it's the innocent dying for the guilty. Beautiful picture though. Something else we should note, and that is that Jonah felt, really, that when he was in the belly of the fish, that the flood of God's wrath had passed over him. Look at chapter 2 of Jonah, verse 3. For thou hadst cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Now just underline those words, whether it be literally in your Bible or in your mind. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. And just compare that with one of the Psalms. Psalm 42. Psalm 42, verse 7. This is messianic language. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. This was the experience of our Lord Jesus Christ. When the wrath of God that was our due upon the Lamb was laid. And by the shedding of his blood the debt for us was paid. Isaiah tells us, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He says that he was smitten of God and afflicted. All thy billows and thy waves have passed over me. Jonah felt this. And this is what Christ felt. It's interesting too that Jonah, his name, Jonah, as it is in Hebrew, it literally means the dove. The dove. Now what is the dove? A dove is, even to this day, often represented as the messenger of peace. Some of these peaceniks use a white dove as their symbol. But there's nothing wrong with the symbol itself. There may be something wrong with some of those that use it at times, but there's nothing wrong with the symbol. Because it is indeed that which represents gentleness, and tenderness and peace. The dove is the messenger of peace. Wasn't that true in Noah's ark? He sent out the raven. The raven was quite happy to feast, being a scavenger upon the carcasses of the dead. But the dove could find no rest for her feet. Because the dove will never feast on that awful stuff. 
But there was that time when the dove, when it was sent out, came back with the olive leaf plucked off in its beak. What was that a sign of? It was a sign that the vegetation was now beginning to appear above the waters. The dove was able to get the leaf from off the trees. And Noah knew that the time was coming when they could come out of the ark soon. So the dove was the messenger of peace. And Christ is our messenger of peace. In Ephesians 2 verse 17, he is described in this way. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 17. He came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. We're also told in another place, he is our peace. He has proclaimed peace to us. He's the prophet of peace. Jonah reminds us of Christ. Jonah came preaching a message of repentance. We'll come to that in due course, but in chapter 3 and verses 4 and 5, as he's preaching to Nineveh, he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. They repented of their evil ways. Jonah came preaching repentance. And this was our Savior's message from the very beginning. Matthew 4 verse 17 tells us, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jonah reminds us of Christ. You'll notice also that Jonah was an intercessor. He engaged in prayer. Chapter 2 begins. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God. He prayed. He says in verse 7 of that same chapter. My prayer came in unto thee. Jonah was a man of prayer. He was an intercessor. Doesn't that remind us of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great prophet he was, and he is the preeminent intercessor, our example in prayer? We've also said already, Jonah healed from an area of Galilee. The Lord Jesus Christ was raised in that part of the country. But the greatest evidence that Jonah was a type of Christ and reminds us of the Savior is that in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, he spent three days and three nights in the depths, in the heart of the earth, in the, the fish's belly. Look with me at chapter 1 of Jonah and verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Our Lord Jesus Christ takes away all doubt when it comes to the matter of whether Jonah is a type of Christ or not, when he says in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, and verses 39 and 40, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days 
and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It's a clear type and picture. Because the Lord Jesus Christ refers to it as such. And I think it's interesting too when you study Jonah in chapter 2. The words that he uses in verse 2. Out of the belly of hell cried I. And again in verse 6. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. And yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption or from the pit. This is Jonah referring to his own experience as a kind of a burial. He was in the heart of the earth and he says, in the belly of hell cried I. You know those same words that are employed in Jonah chapter 2 verse 2 and verse 6 are used of the burial of Christ in Psalm 16. This is no accident. The Word of God is a wonderful book. It displays its unity everywhere. And you go to Psalm 16, which of course is a messianic psalm, even though it's a psalm of David. It speaks of Christ. And if you were to compare the words that are used here with the words of the book of Acts, you'll find that it is so. He says in verse 10 of Psalm 16, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. That's the same word that Jonah uses in chapter 2 of his book. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. That's the same word which is translated or could be translated the pit that's used in Jonah chapter 2 when he speaks of corruption. Wonderful type of Christ. But there's something else. What happened to Jonah satisfied God's justice? It tells us in verse 15 of chapter 1 of Jonah that when they took up Jonah and they cast him forth into the sea, the sea ceased from her raging. The wrath of the ocean was stilled. The throwing overboard of Jonah in that sense, satisfied the justice of God. And so Christ, by his death, stopped the raging of God's righteous wrath against us. I think the typology of this little prophecy is rich. Because we're taught thereby to look for Christ in all the scriptures. I like to think that when the Lord Jesus was teaching those two on the road to Emmaus, that he not only referred to the types that were used in the Pentateuch, but also the typical teaching in the prophets, such as Jonah, because it tells us in Luke 24 and verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jonah, as a type of Christ, is something that the Saviour Himself would have most certainly pointed out. I trust that as we come to read our Bibles, that we will look for the Saviour therein. What a wonderful book is the Bible. And I thank the Lord that there is a greater prophet than Jonah.
who has come to us, bringing to us the word of peace. And his name is Jesus. And we commend him and we recommend him to sinners. Make him yours. Come to him. Trust in him. And he will save you. The one who died, who was in the heart of the earth, but who rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He is the one who is alive forevermore and he is abundantly able to save. May the Lord bless his word to all of our hearts. Amen.